Good morning. It's great to be together again. I'm looking forward to the day when we can all be together again and we don't have to be wearing the masks and keeping our distance. But in the meantime, we look to be faithful to what God has called us to do. It was the fall of 1973. I was a college freshman starting at Juniata College in Huntington, Pennsylvania. I was not a believer in God, but I began seeking how to understand and tap into the powers of the spirit world and the occult and dark magic. I was looking to be someone like, though I didn't know him at the time, Simon the Magician, whom we learned about last week in Acts 8. As I searched in vain for information on these things, I remembered a fellow student, Ron Kepner who was always talking about spirits and spiritual things in one of my classes, so I sought him out. Turns out, Ron was a believer. He was able to show me what the Bible says, both about the evil side of the spiritual world, but also about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love and forgiveness of God. And over time, I came to faith in Jesus through his witness. As remarkable as that is, to me, one of the most remarkable parts of that story is that Ron transferred into the college as a junior for that fall and for some reason ended up in the same class as I am as a freshman. And then 10 weeks later, he transferred out of the college to go somewhere else. Now, I don't know why else he was there for just those 10 weeks, but he was there for no less than to bring this wandering sinner into a relationship with God. And that gets into the point of our uh, message in Acts 8 last week and this week. God moved the right man to the right place at the right time with the right words for me to become a believer and then moved him on. Last week, we saw how God in his love and his mercy sent the right man, Philip, at the right time to the right place in Samaria to bring the people of that city the right words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to see where God sends Philip on another mission, this time out of love for just one individual. We're going to walk through that story to see how God works both overtly, openly, obviously, and also behind the scenes to move people and circumstances to bring the good news of a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ to those who need to hear. So what I'd like to invite you to do is open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 26 to 40. As I read this passage, look for the three instances where God is obviously working. Look for things like angel of the Lord or spirit of the Lord, and we'll see where God is working. Let's read together Acts chapter 8, or follow along with me as I read verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go south. Go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? 
and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's just take a couple moments. I'd like to ask God's guidance once more on our study today. Spirit of God, I ask that you would grant us understanding of your truth in this passage, grant us proper application to our lives, and grant us the power to trust you and follow you from the things that we learn about you here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you noticed those three instances. Let's look at the first one uh, in verses 26 to 28. Verse 26 says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, the angel of the Lord, we don't know by what manifestation or how this came about, we just know that it did, but an angel of the Lord directs Philip to go to the road that leads from Jerusalem southwest to Gaza. And it says in verse 27, and he rose and went. He rose and went. He did not know why, but he trusted in God's leading. And Luke is very careful to tell us here that this is a desert place, a desert place. Just hold on to that because that will come back later for the story. And Gaza is known as the last watering place on the journey from Jerusalem back to Africa. We learn that this man is heading back to Africa and he's on that road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And Gaza is the last watering place before getting back into Africa. Well, on that road is an unnamed man traveling the thousand miles. It's about a thousand mile journey from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. At that time, it was a place in northern Africa, just south of Egypt. And Luke tells us some things about him. He says, uh, if you look in verse 27, he's an Ethiopian. He's a, either a Jewish man who's now living in Ethiopia, or more likely a native Ethiopian who had converted to Judaism, which would explain his coming to Jerusalem to worship. He's an Ethiopian. It says he's also a court official of the queen of Ethiopia in charge of all her money. So a pretty important person. Also says that he is a eunuch, a man who has been surgically rendered incapable of having sexual relations. In that time, perfect for and often used as court officials and overseers of harems. And he was returning from Jerusalem where he went to worship God. It says there in verse 28, he was returning, or he had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning. He had come to worship God. He was seeking God. 
and his relationship with God, as well as he knew him, which he didn't, as we see, didn't know him well, brought him to Jerusalem to seek God, to worship God. And here he is reading the scriptures. He's reading Isaiah the prophet, also out of a sense of seeking to know God. But as we'll see, he didn't really understand what he was reading. And here we see that God moves Philip to be at the right place at the right time, as we see how this story develops. And we're going to see that God moves people and circumstances to bring the good news of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ to one who needs to hear of God's love and mercy. So that's the angel of the Lord on the road to Gaza. Well, let's look at verse 29. And the Spirit said, here we are again, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So we see the Spirit and the chariot ride. The Spirit directs Philip to join the chariot. Philip then assesses the situation. He, in verse 30, he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. And so Philip assesses the situation and responds appropriately. I just love this. This is a wonderful illustration of the interworking of, of God's sovereign working in our lives and our human responses. God put him in the place. God allows him to overhear this man reading from Isaiah the prophet. And now Philip thoughtfully responds by faith to the situation that God has led him to. And don't you love this man's humility? Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I? How many times does someone ask, oh, do you need help? No, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm fine. Those were my words after I, some of you may remember about over a year ago, I had an accident, broke my pelvis. I was sitting on the road in Upper Darby, Westchester Pike. Several people stopped by, hey, are you all right? You need help? No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? I'm fine. Yeah, I needed surgery two days later to fix my pelvis, but I'm fine. I don't need you. Fortunately, some guy decided I was a little out of my mind, and he decided to stay with me until uh, somebody came along to help. Uh, Laurel came to pick me up. But this man's humility, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? I need some help here. And so he offers Philip to come up and help. And so here we see another behind the scenes. We saw the, the angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. The spirit of the Lord speaks to Philip. But here's one of those behind the scenes things that God is doing. This man just happens to be reading Isaiah 53. Just happens to be reading Isaiah 53. Notice he doesn't become a believer in Jesus by reading John 3.16 or the Christmas story in Luke. But he's reading what we now know as the Old Testament. And I just want to pause here to say a word about the Jewish scriptures, what we now know as the Old Testament. Some people see the Old Testament merely as the history of the Jewish people and see the God of the Old Testament as an angry, wrathful God and not the loving Jesus of the New Testament. But Jesus himself threw that idea out when he said that the entirety of the Old Testament really speaks of him and of God's loving plan to rescue people from sin into an intimate relationship with God. For example, in John 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus challenges the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He says, you search the scriptures because you think and in them you have eternal life. Well, it's they that bear witness about me. And in Luke 24, 27, he's talking to some disciples who are, are grieving over Jesus' crucifixion, not realizing that he had been raised from the dead. And it says this of Jesus, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. As you're reading the Old Testament, always be looking for where Jesus is. This particular Old Testament passage in Isaiah is one that clearly points to Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf, written some 700 years before Jesus' coming. Perfect for this situation. Look what the passage is he's reading in verses 32 and 33. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch rightly says, who is the prophet writing about, himself or someone else? And Philip is able to take this passage and say, no, the Lord Jesus Christ was the man who was a sheep, like a sheep led to the slaughter, like a lamb before the shearer is silent. Remember, in his trials, in his defense, he did not offer defense. He was silent, which amazed his accusers. And totally, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. This was totally an unjust trial, an unjust conviction, an unjust execution. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The Lord Jesus died for us. So Philip uses this passage, takes the opportunity to tell him the good news, the gospel about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God's love for him, God's invitation for him to put his faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then we see that the Spirit opens the the eyes of this man to understand, and the eunuch believes. And as they're driving along, in verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? The eunuch believed in his heart, and he wanted to publicly identify his faith in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. It's this public identification of saying, I'm changing my loyalties. I have died to the things of this world, and I'm being raised to new life in Jesus Christ. What's interesting here, too, in the terms of the story, we see another example of God's loving and providential leading. Do you remember where they are? Luke said very early, this is a desert place, a desert place. And so just at the right time, they arrive at a a rare watering place on this desert road at the time for the eunuch to be baptized. God is putting all the pieces of this man's life together in the order that they need to be. I'd like to take a little word as a commercial here and put in a shameless plug for getting baptized if you've never done so after believing in Jesus. We believe that it's an important part of professing, publicly professing your faith in the Lord, saying I'm willing to leave the old ways behind and live a new life for Jesus Christ. And if you've never been baptized, we certainly would encourage you to do so. But in terms of our story here, God moves people and circumstances to bring the gospel to one who needs to hear of God's love and mercy. Well, let's look next at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. So this time the Spirit again acts overtly, this time relocating Philip with what appears to be a miraculous transportation. Well, Luke tells us that the eunuch saw Philip no more, but went on his way rejoicing. This eunuch came to Jerusalem seeking, and he was returning home still seeking. 
But along the way, the Holy Spirit opens his understanding and he now returns home rejoicing, celebrating that he has found the very Savior that he had been unknowingly reading about in the scriptures. He found what he had been searching for, the only thing that could satisfy. And Philip finds himself at Azotus. I let my imagination go here a little bit and find some humor in this scene as I think about what may have happened. Imagine Philip coming up out of the water after this baptism, maybe bending over to put his sandals on or dry himself off or straighten his robe, stands up to wave to the eunuch and then suddenly looks around and realizes he's not on this desert road to Gaza anymore. Uh, Sir, could you tell me where I am? And this guy looks at this stranger who's dripping wet, wondering where he just came from, miles from water. So, uh, you're in Exodus, sir, as he wanders away, shaking his head, wondering where this guy was coming from. But Philip assesses the situation and responds to the situation just as God had given him. He works his way from Exodus up the coast, northward. Exodus is a city on the Mediterranean coast. And Philip just works his way up the coast to Caesarea, preaching the gospel along the way. Once again, we see that God moves people and circumstances to bring the gospel to those who need to hear of God's love and mercy. Well, I'd like to take some time. That's the general drift of the story. But I'd like to take some time and focus in on some things to see what application we might draw of this from our lives. One of those is, and I don't know if you've been there, I was there, one objection to Jesus Christ as being the only way to God. You know, if you tell someone Jesus Christ is the only way to God, what is one of the questions that you will get back? But what about those who have never heard and who live in places where they will never hear? That was one of my objections to Ron. I remember clearly going back to him after he shared the gospel with me. I said, but what about? I had a lot of those whatabouts. And he patiently answered each one of them. But this was one of those whatabouts. Well, let's think about this in light of this story. The Ethiopian eunuch was one isolated man from a faraway country, a thousand miles from home, on a desert road. Well, God brought the eunuch from Ethiopia to Israel at just the right time, and then sent just the right person to just the right place at just the right time with just the right words. God made sure that the gospel of God's grace and love reached this man. I believe one of the lessons of this passage is that God will not forget anyone. And somehow, in his sovereign working, he will be sure that everyone who needs to hear will have the opportunity to hear. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know how he will do it but I believe it to be true. And this is one of those examples where God made sure that this man got the gospel to him. And in bringing the eunuch to faith in Jesus, what else happened? Well, the gospel went to Ethiopia in particular, or in general, and it went to the royal household at Ethiopia in particular. So not only did God save this man, this isolated, nameless man, he's unnamed here, but he also, the gospel then goes to Ethiopia and to the royal household. I think there's another lesson here too, and maybe it's more of a question. Why didn't God just arrange for the eunuch to hear the gospel when he was in Jerusalem? He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was obviously seeking. Why didn't God just arrange for him to hear the gospel there? The, the apostles were there. There were many believers there. Why didn't he do that? That would have been much easier, much more efficient. 
So I think there's another lesson here for us. Let's be careful not to reduce God's ways to the level of our understanding, to what makes sense to us. For reasons that only God may know, this way was the perfect way to get the gospel to this man, for whatever reason, ways that we don't understand. Well, now I'd like to pull the lens back a little bit and look at Acts 8 as a whole. We see that God is always working in different ways, in different circumstances, always for his purpose to bring people into relationship with himself. So in verses 1 to 25, we saw that God sent Philip to take the gospel to a city where Philip spoke to crowds. God is concerned that all nations, people groups, various races of people hear the gospel and come to faith. And in what we looked at last week, God overcame earthly powers. We saw where Saul and others were trying to destroy the early church. They overcame spiritual forces of evil, demon possession, and people like Simon the magician. They overcame, or God overcame, racial prejudice. The Samaritans are confirmed as believers on equal footing with the Jews. As we talked about, Jews hated the Samaritans. But God breaks that barrier down. God overcame false beliefs, and we saw that as Simon is rebuked when he tries to purchase the Holy Spirit. He tries to buy for himself the power of the Spirit. And in this passage, we see that God overcame geographic isolation when he sent Philip to take the gospel to one individual. God is just as concerned about the rescue of this one man as he is about a group of people or a nation. And God made sure that this Ethiopian eunuch heard the gospel. And God is intimately involved with every step, moving people and arranging circumstances perfectly to accomplish his purposes in building his church. What else can we say about Acts 8, what it means for us? Well, what we should not expect, I think we should not expect being picked up by the Spirit and moved physically to Pittsburgh. I think we should not expect of hearing God's voice directly as we see the angel of the Lord said to Philip and the Spirit said to Philip. But what we should expect is that God loves us and is committed to building his church, that's us, the people, and will arrange all circumstances to accomplish his purposes for us in our individual lives and in our corporate life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in our lives, God will often send helpers, people, circumstances, his word, the inward work of the spirit, the coincidences of life, and sometimes the difficulties of life. For example, one of those in my life was meeting Ron at college. I think it was more than a coincidence that he was in one of my classes at college, a junior in the class with a freshman. I mean, that didn't even make sense. It was more than a coincidence. I don't know if you remember my definition of coincidence uh, some time ago, right? The definition of coincidence I heard, it's when God chooses to remain anonymous. It's when God chooses to remain anonymous. So God is still working. He just doesn't always say, here I am. He just arranges the circumstances. There's another situation in my life. Years ago, I was looking for a job, and the job market in Philadelphia for doctors, surprisingly, was very difficult. There were no jobs to be found. I finally found one uh, in the Philadelphia prison system. Uh, Not a place I was looking forward to working, but I was willing to do whatever God wanted me to do. 
And at the last minute, I found a job posting on the internet for this program in South Philadelphia working with frail elderly people. And so I applied. And they took their time. They called me in, interviewed me, and were taking their time getting back to me. And I was hours away from having to tell this guy at the prison what I was going to do with the job he had offered me uh, when the people in South Philadelphia called me back. And actually, I called them <laughs> and said, uh, you know, I'm a little bit of a dilemma here. Are you interested in me or not? And uh, they said, yeah, we'd like, uh, we'd like you to come in. We'd like to hire you. At the last minute, they, uh, I could call the guy at the prison and say, I'm sorry, I have another job. And that's the job I've been at for the last 15 years, so by God's grace. But what was interesting about that, as I was talking to them later, I said, how'd you find out about this job? Uh, I said, well, I, I found it on the internet. I was looking around and found a post on the internet. I said, well, we took that ad down weeks ago. We filled that position. And uh, I, I, to this day, I don't know what happened. They had filled the position. They weren't looking for anybody anymore. But when I came along, they said, well, let me interview them anyway. And I guess they didn't find out the truth about me, so they hired me. But it was in response to an ad that they thought had been taken down, that was no longer active. Again, God working behind the scenes to arrange circumstances. Another story from our life, uh, you may look at this and see it as the charred remains of a bench. This was... Uh, the charred remains of a uh, kitchen table bench that used to be in, in our house in New Jersey. And this was December of 1998. God used the disaster to bring some clarity to us. Laurel and I had been struggling for months about what to do. We felt that a major change needed to occur in our lives, possibly even picking up and moving, relocating, and we just wrestled and wrestled and struggled with that and did not know what God's direction was, what it should be for us. And uh, in December of 1998, we were coming home with our kids from a school program, a Christmas program, and we were looking forward to the apple pie that was uh, in the oven, uh, baking in the oven. And as we pulled into the neighborhood, we had to make, we had to park out of the way of the fire trucks and as we stood in front of our house watching the firemen come out, finishing putting the fire out in our kitchen and knocking the windows out in the uh, upstairs window to vent the smoke out of the house, uh, Laurel and I sat there in the midst of that disaster, not bemoaning what had just happened, but praising God that he had spoken, that it was clear now that we would be moving. Now, I hope you don't need a house fire to convince you you need to move. But that's what God used for us. We spent the next few months or weeks, several weeks, living on a trailer in the front, front lawn by the After Disaster Trailer Company as the disaster relief services cleaned up our house. So this was a disaster, but it was a disaster in God's hands to speak to us, arranging people and circumstances. So I cut off a part of this bench as a remembrance to us that this is a memorial, this is a remembrance of God's mercy to us, of his speaking to us, of his guiding us. And we, we do continually pray that, God, we will listen to you without needing a house fire, but whatever it takes. And so seven months later, we moved to Havertown, and uh, we've been here ever since. And so I keep this uh, fire line tape, do not cross, fire line, and this. And what's interesting is uh, one of our children's 
school book bags was sitting on the end of this bench and the book bag was completely destroyed and etched into the uh, board here is a homework assignment. <laughs> uh, permanently engraved into the, into the board. So like I say, I keep this not because I'm morbid, I keep it because it's a reminder to me and to us of God's grace and his mercy of organizing circumstances to accomplish his purposes. So how has God worked in your life? Or how might he be working now by arranging the circumstances of your life to accomplish his purposes? Perhaps there are wandering children. Family member is very sick. The ongoing pressure of the pandemic restrictions, job uncertainties or problems challenges in our church family, unfair treatment, unjust treatment, loss of a loved one, etc., etc. The list goes on and on. Do you feel like the Ethiopian eunuch, alone, nameless, traveling in a desert place a thousand miles from home, seeking but not finding certainty or clarity? If you're like me, these things are sources of anxiety and fear and worry. But just like this Ethiopian eunuch, God has not forgotten about you or me. In ways we often do not understand, God has promised to use all things for our good and for his great purposes. And if everything is not yet worked out, it does not mean that God is not there or that he has forgotten us. It just means he's not done yet. He's not done yet. And when he sends his helpers, we should ask, God to give us the wisdom to listen to those helpers and to follow them. Because his helpers often come in house fires or difficulties that we don't understand why they're there, but we need to be able to listen to God's voice as he is speaking to us. Our goal should be to live as if God actually exists in our midst. Sometimes I feel like my relationship with God is just based on what I the knowledge I have of the truth of the Bible. And I forget that Christianity is not about knowing the facts, it's about knowing the person. It's being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I need to learn to live more and more like that as if God actually exists in our midst. No matter how messy or impossible your situation is, God is working through all the circumstances and will never leave you or forsake you and will see you safely through this world to your new home where he will live with you and with him forever. That's one of the reasons I had Scott read Romans 8 today. One of the truths of that passage is that God works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. There are, in a sense, no disasters that God cannot overcome or that he cannot use for his purposes. He rescues them, redeems them, and turns them into his purposes. One of the early verses I memorized as a new believer is one that's very familiar to all of us, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So in this, God invites us to trust him to take care of us, and he promises he will direct our paths. We often will not understand it. We often will not know what's going on, but we can trust that he will always direct our paths. 
And so what is the pass or what is the meaning of this passage to us today? At least one of the major meetings is that God will move people and circumstances to accomplish his great purposes for us, for our good and for his glory. Amen. Let's just uh, close this time in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for this account of your relationship with this unnamed brother from Ethiopia. We share many of the challenges that he faced, and we acknowledge that you are as concerned about us as him. We acknowledge the lengths that you went to to send Philip to him on this desert road, that you provided the right passage of scripture to lead to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you provided this place for baptism, that you provided all that was needed for this man to come to you. And may we find rest in your promise that you will use all of the circumstances and people in our lives to guide us into your purposes. May we trust in your provision for us. May we, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in you with all our heart. Don't lean on our own understanding, but all in all our ways acknowledge you. Look to see your hand in the affairs of our lives. And as we do, you will make our paths straight. You will guide us, and I pray that we could rest in that. And so, Father, I pray that you would apply this to each of us as we need this morning. If there are some of us who are here this morning like this Ethiopian man started as not knowing you, not having a faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would open the eyes of that person to come to faith in Jesus, to believe that he is a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for those sins, but that Jesus was raised from the dead to conquer death, to conquer sin, and to offer now eternal life and the forgiveness of sins to all who would receive. And that that person would be able, like this Ethiopian man, to leave here rejoicing, celebrating the fact that he now knows you and understands you. And I pray for those of us who do know you, who have walked with you perhaps for a short time or a long time, that we be renewed and refreshed in our confidence in you, that you love us, you care about us. And when the circumstances of life are heavy and confusing and uncertain, we know that you are still there. Your spirit is still alive and active, working in our lives to accomplish your purposes. And help us to realize that if things are not clear yet, it's because you've not made them clear. And help us to continue to seek after you and trusting you to provide the clarity when it is needed. And so... I commit all of us to you this day that we would leave here with a renewed confidence in who you are, not a renewed confidence in our circumstances or the brokenness of this world, but renewed confidence that no matter what's going on around us, that you are aware of all of that and will work in all situations and circumstances to accomplish your purposes for our good and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.